glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. As I said in the introduction, I want to say this again. I really encourage you. I hope you can be back tonight. As I've preached on Elizabeth many times, you may have been here for one of those messages or not. Uh, she and her husband are favorite characters of mine in the Bible, especially when we think about the birth of Christ and the time leading up to it. And so there's some things here that some of you are going to be very familiar with already as we consider the character of Elizabeth this morning. But I think the combination of, and I dared not, I prayed about and wrestled with trying to preach a, one message this morning of putting a side-by-side comparison of these two women in the life of John the Baptist, greatest man during his time, born among women. Again, interesting statement then that women were um, very influential in John the Baptist's life. One, as I said before, to bring him into the world and the other to expedite his exit through her hatred for him. Uh, Both of these women responded to what John represented. John represented and John was a voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was a voice for God. He was preparing people for the Lord. There were those like Elizabeth whose heart was tender toward the Lord and prepared for the Lord. And then there were those like Herodias who wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And uh, I believe this. We see a lot of, of, we see a lot of schism and fraction, factions in our culture. But the, the person that knows the Lord understands all of the culture is divided really into two parts. And that has to do with how we are in our relationship to the Lord. And in what we find in these two women, in, in Elizabeth this morning, and then as we look at Herodias tonight, is you find an example that's a right and a good example in Elizabeth, and of course a horrid example in Herodias. And they represent, if you would, extremes, I suppose, uh, but they represent two responses to the Lord and to the voice of God. And so, I, I, again, I encourage you, if you can be back tonight and make the plans to be here and hear both messages as I believe they give light to one another. But I think it would take too long to try to preach both at one time. And so we're going to focus this morning on Elizabeth and then tonight we'll see Herodias and you'll see quite the contrast uh, in how she responded to John the Baptist and his ministry in contrast to how uh, Elizabeth responded to the Lord and the one who gave John the Baptist. And so anyway, uh, it is his ministry that brings these two women into our focal point today. And I believe that the two messages will lend to one another. So we're going to give you four things about Elizabeth this morning. And some of these are basic things, but they may be things that some of you are not familiar with. And I hope and trust it's very difficult to get a truth established by hearing a truth preached one or taught one time. I encourage you always take your Bible, go home. If you hear something preached and it grabs your attention, and you don't know how to find more information on it in your Bible, find someone who does and find that the things that are being taught and preached to you are are what God is saying in his word. Verify it with the Bible. So there's going to be some things preached here in the first point this morning about fellowship with the Lord. We find the first thing we find out about Elizabeth is her fellowship. She had fellowship with God. She is in agreement with the Lord. And today, the most important question you really can answer is how is your relationship with the Lord? People say relationships matter. They certainly do. But it is impossible to maintain vertical relationships as we should, uh, or horizontal relationships as we should, if we're not right vertically, if we're not right with the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And if you look at relationships in the New Testament, for instance, where the Christians are instructed, husbands how to care for their wives, and wives how to relate to their husbands, and children how to relate to their parents, and parents how to relate to their children, and how masters should relate to servants, and servants to masters. It is always brought back to as to the Lord, unto the Lord, before the Lord, meaning everything we do toward one another should spring toward our understanding of God's will for that relationship. And here's a woman that we're going to find out today that understood that. Uh, our world today, I get, I get frustrated hearing people who all they ever seem to do is wreck human relationships, try to coach everybody else on how to have relationships. I really don't need someone who's wrecked five marriages telling me how to have one. That may sound, that may sound mean and cruel, but Hollywood can take a hike. They don't know anything about marriage. God does. He created it. Hollywood doesn't. They know how to destroy it through selfishness and pride. Those folks need to be saved. But may I say today, uh, we, have, we have in a right relationship with the Lord all that we need uh, for having a right relationship with one another. So on this Mother's Day, the very name Mother deals with a relationship. Uh, how ironic that we're hearing what we're hearing from the Supreme Court this week leading up to Mother's Day and uh, the hatred and the vitriol you hear spewing not only for, toward innocent little children who've committed no good or evil one way or the other, uh, but toward people who love life and uh, so forth. My point is, this morning, uh, we need to have a biblical understanding of God's point of view. And when we look this morning at Elizabeth, you find an exemplary woman as to any woman could look and say, that's the kind of woman I ought to be. And you say, well, you're a man, you can't preach on that. All I'll say is, watch me. <laughs> It's, it's in the book, amen? It's in the book. And so if God is the one giving counsel, let's listen to what God has to say. Uh, Elizabeth this morning exemplifies the virtuous woman of Proverbs chapter 31. And so ladies this morning, younger, older, in between, there's such instruction. Let us not get our viewpoint on womanhood or on marriage or on the home or on children from people who don't know God. We're not to get our counsel from the ungodly. We're to get our counsel from the Lord. And so that's, that's to a great degree, the heart behind this this morning is putting before us, look, here's a portrait. How many times has a woman uh, looked at, uh, at a portrait of another lady and said, boy, I like her hair. I'm going to try that. Now, I'm not a lady, but I'm married to one. And so I, I have some, some minor, minor clue. It's just a little one, but... Or, oh, I like that dress, I want one like that. Or, I like that style, I'm going to try that. May I say this morning, this morning we're not painting a physical picture. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, that when it comes to women, it's the inward adorning that God is looking at, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. You'll see that exemplified in Elizabeth this morning. And so, for the ladies this morning, you can look this morning at this spiritual portrait painted for us on the pages of God's Word and say, that's what it looks like when Christ is preeminent in the life of a lady. That's what it looks like. And it ought to become, it ought to become something to aim toward and say, you know what? So if you're a Christian this morning, you're born again, you know you have eternal life, the Spirit of God indwelling in you, I believe He'll use this message to say, this is what is beautiful to me. This was beautiful to me. And, and, and if you're, if as men today, we can see Christian godly character exemplified on that lady. This morning you may be here and say, it's what I've tried to be. I've never been able to succeed at being. I seem to be bound to be what I'm not supposed to be. That's the law of sin and death you're reckoning with. And only one person can break that and enable and empower you to be 
what God created you to be, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. So it's possible someone's here today, and you can't be godly because God has not yet been uh, not come to dwell within you because you've not been born again. Then let me urge you today, He is ready. Christ is living and ready to save and impart eternal life to those who receive it. And so let's begin this morning with the heart of this message. Verse 6 about uh, of Luke 1, we find this about Elizabeth. The first thing we find out about her is her relationship with the Lord. We're going to find some things out about her relationship with her husband. We're going to find out a little bit about her relationship with her son, her relationship with her cousin Mary. But the first thing we're introduced to about Elizabeth is her relationship with God and her fellowship with the Lord. Verse 6 of Luke 1 says, And they were both, talking about Zacharias and Elizabeth, his wife, and they were both, what's the first thing it tells us? Righteous before God. I don't know about you, that's what I want God to say about me that I am righteous before God. How many of you know that is more important than being righteous before men? Now, we'll find she was righteous before men as well. But it's first important that we're righteous before God. You realize you and I can look righteous before one another while being mean as the devil. Can't we? Pharisees did it. Why, they prayed and attended synagogue and gave long prayers and fasted. And everybody said, wow, what righteous men. And the Lord Jesus came along and said, you're of your father the devil and his works you'll do. He was a liar from the beginning and that's why you're liars. That's John chapter 8. <laughs> he told it to him just like it was. He said that uh, he told them they were whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. So that's not the kind of person Elizabeth was. She was righteous before God. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, Proverbs 15, verse 3. There's only one of two ways this woman can be righteous before God. Either she never had sinned or something had been done with her sin. Now, we all know the answer to that. The Bible says, for all have sinned. Would that include Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is a good opportunity and excuse to remind us this morning of how we have peace with God, how we are righteous before God. Now, I understand Elizabeth was living under the law, but may I remind you this morning, no one has ever been saved by the works of the law. No one. Not those who lived under the law, not those who lived after the law, not those who lived during the tribulation period. We are not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done. I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 4. If you want to turn there with me, you can. But we understand that whether under the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, it really doesn't matter, Old Testament or New, law or grace, that we are saved by faith. They were saved by faith in a promise of a coming Redeemer. Zacharias and Elizabeth had believed that God was going to send a Savior, what the Jews would have called Messiah. We call him the Christ. They believed the promises of the Old Testament that one greater uh, than, than Moses, a greater prophet than Moses was going to come, that someone would come who would bear their sins, who would be bruised for their iniquities, uh, who would be wounded for their transgressions. They believed in promise forward. They didn't have as much clarity as we do. Therefore, it's possible their faith was greater than ours. But the fact is, all men in all time have been justified. You know what it means to be justified? Made righteous in the sight of God. Justified is God looks at us as if we have never transgressed against him. He counts us as having never sinned. Now, there's only one or two ways that can happen. Either you never sin or all your sins get pardoned. One of the two. Romans chapter 4 verse 1 says, What should we then say then that Abraham our father? Here's a man who lived before the law. Abraham. Uh, Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found. For if Abraham were justified, yeah, that's made righteous before God, if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. 
For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. This passage is so simple. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. How many of you like visuals? I'm a visual learner. So in my mind, when I read this passage, I have an image of a word, F-A-I-T-H, faith in God, F-A-I-T-H, equal sign, righteousness. I've got a visual in my mind. When I believe the promise of God, when I believe the promise of God concerning righteousness and salvation, it is my faith in God and his promises that gives me righteousness. Is that what the Bible says? Abraham believed God. God promised he would make of Abraham a a, a great nation. He said that when Sarah couldn't have any children. He said that when Abraham knew in his own mind what God was promising was physically impossible, meaning he believed God concerning a miracle. He believed God concerning the miraculous birth of a son. He really, in essence, believed the same thing we do. God has promised us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know the name of that son. We know what he did. We know that he died for our sins. He raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven. We know all those things. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I read a quote from a man this week who doesn't believe that you can have salvation and be secured. He said the, uh, the security of your salvation is entirely dependent on the effort you put forth to be like Jesus Christ. And every person in this room is on their way to hell. How many of you are putting enough effort to be like Christ today forward? Let's be honest. Is there ever enough? When is enough enough? I'll tell you when you and I have put enough effort to be like Christ when we are identical. How many of you through effort can be just like Jesus? Who can say I've made my heart clean, I'm pure from my sin, Proverbs says. It's a rhetorical question, we know the answer. Not one of us. You know what the Bible says about Abraham? Before there was ever a law, the Bible says Abraham believed God. God promised him a son. God promised him a seed. It was impossible just like the, the, the promise of eternal life to us. You and I cannot produce it in our nature just like Abraham couldn't produce a son in his nature or Sarah. But God promised it and Abraham believed that what God promised, Romans 4 says, verse 23, I believe, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. When you and I believe that God can put eternal life into the heart of someone who puts their trust in him, we believe God and it's counted to us for righteousness. It says the same in Romans 4, uh, verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 6, here's a man under the law, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth, meaning he doesn't transfer it to his account, God imputeth righteousness, or he transfers to his account, imputeth righteousness without works. Could the Bible be plainer? Does God impute righteousness to us without us working for it? Yes. This is not a Baptistic doctrine. This is not any denominational doctrine. Friend, this is Bible. For by grace are ye saved through works. If it works, it's not grace. Amen? You know what? If um, How many of you gentlemen got paychecks this week or late? Did anybody get a paycheck this week, last week? Yeah, a couple of you. Wasn't your boss gracious to you to pay you? Didn't he give you unmerited kindness and favor? Not on your life. Let me ask you this. What if he didn't give you a paycheck this week? 
would any of you take actions to get it? If not, you need your head examined. Amen? <laughs> you work, you get paid. That's called a wage. For the wages of sin is death. What's the contrast to wages? I heard a man preach a wonderful message on this this week. The contrast in that verse is for the, the wages of sin is death. The contrast with wages is but the gift of God is eternal life. You know what the contrast of sin is? The wages of sin is death. The gift of God. That the opposite of sin is God. Sin will bring you death. God will give you life. And the point there this morning is, we say, are we preaching about Elizabeth or David and Abraham? All the above. We're preaching about the fact that Elizabeth had fellowship with God. The Bible says she and Zacharias were righteous before God. My question to you this morning, person to person, heart to heart, is are you righteous before God? Does God look at you and say, I don't see a sinner, I see someone that's righteous? That creates a problem, doesn't it? Because we go, well, if God knows half as much as I know about me, he's either going to have to be a liar to see me righteous or something. Because if a person's honest, they know there's none righteous. Not one. But the Bible says Elizabeth was righteous before God. How so? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew how much sin? No sin. Why? That we might be made the what? The righteousness of God in him. Once you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God no longer sees you. He sees his son. Amen? That's the Bible. Once you're trusting Christ, Christ has promised to be your advocate. How righteous is Jesus Christ? Without spot, without blemish. So when I say, Lord, I'm not coming to you based on me. I've sinned. I'm blotted. My record is unclean. I've lied. I've thought filthy thoughts. I've used filthy words. I've blasphemed your name. I've taken things I shouldn't. I backbite this person and that person, and I gossip, and I say things I shouldn't, and I envy, and I covet. Shall we go on? We're blotted. Now, if you're sitting here this morning saying, not me, friend, we need to back up a little bit. There's not a person in this room that has not violated God's law. Honor father and mother. This is Mother's Day. Do we honor our mothers like we should? Honor means to give due reverence and worth and value to the person who brought us into this world. Well, my mother isn't worthy of respect. God didn't say that. He said, honor thy father and thy mother. Is that all he said? We have violated God's commandments. So how then can an unrighteous person be righteous? Through Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness that is given to us as a gift. You say, well, how is that how Elizabeth was righteous? You better believe it. By faith, she believed in the coming Savior. And just like David and just like Abraham, her faith in the promise of a Savior made her righteous. You know what makes me righteous today? Faith in Jesus Christ, not faith in Nevin's performance. Friend, if I am righteous today based on my performance, I'm going to resign the pastorate now and let you get somebody else. And I mean that. Because as I, I, with all of my heart, I want to please the Lord. And I don't want to cause any one of you not to trust Him. But I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. None. The only good in me. And it's a fact of the Bible. And it's a fact that God has resonated and must in my conscience day by day. You are not righteous because of what you do. You are righteous because of who you are trusting in. 
Behold, Paul said this, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I have committed my justification to a person. I am trusting Jesus Christ to make me righteous enough to go to heaven. And hallelujah, that makes me want to shout because I know I'm going. If I'm going to heaven based on me, I'm not going. But if it's him that's getting me there, I know I can trust him. Jesus said, neither said to Thomas, uh, uh, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Say, what does this have to do with Elizabeth? The Bible doesn't say Elizabeth was trying to be righteous before God. Does it? The Bible says she was righteous before God. Let me encourage you. If you say, I just don't, I don't know about this. I encourage you to read Romans chapter 4 and meditate on it. And then read Romans chapter 5. Uh, Romans chapter 5, let me read it very quickly because we need to move on to the rest of the message. But this is a fundamental point. You cannot have the godly character that Elizabeth had without having the peace with God that she had. She was righteous. She was not a condemned sinner. She had been justified. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by, what's the next word? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Elizabeth's fellowship with the Lord in Luke 1, 6, the Bible says, and they were both righteous before God. That has to do with their standing, their position, their peace with God. Then it gets into their practice. And they were both righteous before God, walking. Now we're dealing with what they were doing, not their, 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 their uh, peace and pardon and their position with God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. What's the next word? Blameless. If you took a magnifying glass of the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth, you would find no place in their life where they were intentionally or persistently or, or continuously disobeying God. Their life was a life of obedience. How many of you think their commandments were a little more complicated than ours? They were under the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We have a higher responsibility, but less complication. I guarantee you that. And yet the Bible says they were walking in all the commandments of the Lord Blameless. You know what empowered them to walk blamelessly? They knew they were righteous before God. They were not living by faith in self, but by faith in the promises of God. So how do you know? When God gave them promise of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, they say, we don't believe the Savior is coming. Or they just they knew it because they were already believers. My point is this this morning. There's a, here's where the portrait begins. Yes, she's righteous before God. And we see her peace with God, her position before him, but her, her practice toward him. Meaning when she knew God's will for her life, she didn't do like many professing Christians today. Well, I know that's what it says, but that's just nobody lives like that anymore. Nobody does it that way anymore. It's impossible to always tell the truth. The Bible says, Colossians 1.8, to believers in Jesus Christ, lie not one to another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds. Is that what it says? Well, it's impossible to live that way in the world we live in. You can't, you can't live like that. No, 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 no. When you know that you've been justified and your position is right with God and you have peace with God and you have power to have a practice that is consistent with your profession. So important for us as Christians. Here's what I find in this woman. She was a woman of integrity. She had peace with God, but her life reflected that. Ephesians 2.8, we quoted a few minutes ago, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. The entire context of Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is saved. We agree with that? How we're saved. 
But then verse 10 gets into what we do because we're saved. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I like to say this every so often, good works are not bad. Good works will not make you righteous, but good works are still good. Amen? Good works can reveal that you're right with God, and they should. And without good works, we're going to send a confusing message. First John chapter 1, verse 5-7 through 7 talks about this. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. It's not your walk that cleanses you from sin. That's the blood of Jesus. But it is your walk that keeps you in agreement with God. It is not our job to create a God that agrees with us. It is our job to walk in agreement with God. You know what repentance is? When we change our minds so that we can agree with God because we trust Him. When God says something that doesn't match with the way we think, when it doesn't match with what the culture... I'm going to tell you something. There are more Christians that believe the culture than many times want to expect, really acknowledge it. Because the Bible says one thing, and we believe another thing, not because the Bible says this, but because the culture's opinion is this is the way it is now. There are so many things today... There's so much of the the fight and the battle we have over gender and all this confusion that's going on. It has has gained ground because many of a child of God has compromised with the world to say, well, we see what they're saying, even though it's in blatant contradiction to Scripture. I'm just an advocate of good old-fashioned believe what the Bible says. It's not, we complicate, and it's sin that complicates. And my point here this morning is on Elizabeth is, Her walk matched her words. Her practice matched her position. She walked in all the commandments of the Lord. And the word is blameless. Blameless has to do with how she was viewed by men. Blameless means like Daniel in the Old Testament, who when the people tried to find some fault with him, some area where he was doing knowingly wrong, they couldn't find it. They said, if we're going to find fault, it's going to have to be about something to do with his God. Because he's doing what's right toward the king. He's doing what's right toward everybody else. He's not a thief. He's not a liar. He's not a cheat. He's not... I mean, the man is just... There's nothing to find. How many of us believe Daniel was a sinless man or a sinner saved by grace? Yet he was blameless. The Christian, if you think and I think that grace means I don't have to live a blameless life, I'll say as it in Sunday school, we don't understand grace. Blamelessness doesn't save you, but if you're saved, let us live blameless lives. Amen? Meaning people should not be able to knowingly, and, and, and there should not be sin knowingly in our lives. We should not be able to have somebody point us and say, you say you're a Christian, but you cheat on your time card. You say you're a Christian, but you use God's name in vain. You say you're a Christian, but you don't believe what the Bible says about marriage. You say you're a Christian, but you don't agree with God about this or this. There are people, there are lost people know their Bibles better than we do. And point out the areas of our life where we don't agree with God. You with me? We should not give blame to the Word of God. There are many times, and we'll see this this morning, in the New Testament, we're given some practical instructions. It has nothing to do with how to be saved. It has to do with how saved people should walk and live their lives. In Titus 2, we have some instructions that are given, that are supposed to go from aged women to the younger women. And my, how that text has been abandoned today and dismissed as irrelevant and non-applicable and doesn't work in our culture and our society and all these things. But the Bible so plainly says, if these things are not done and they're not followed, the Word of God will be blasphemed, and it is. And many times God's Word is blasphemed because we've made excuses for why we're not obeying it. 
God says of servants and their masters, meaning when we're employed by someone and we're under their authority, if we do not respond to them honestly and obediently as we should as employees, we'll cause the word of God to be blasphemy. Because they'll say, well, you're a Christian, but you don't, you're always defying what the boss says. You're a Christian, but you, again, cheat on your time card. You say you're a Christian, but... And don't misunderstand me. You can never satisfy every criticism, but they shouldn't have... The criticism shouldn't stick with truth. They should be accusations, not rebukes. You with me? If you looked up and down Zacharias and Elizabeth, friend, you could not blame them for an act. They were not... There was no error of their life where they said, well, we know God says, but we're not going to do it that way. No, we're not going to do it that way. And how many of us understand the pressure that's put on us today by our world to simply disagree with God? Friend, we got pressure put on... I remember when the pressure was put on to just change the construct of the home, meaning, you know, dad's not supposed to be the one that's taking care of the family. You can, you know, dad can be keeper at home and mom can go out and not be a keeper at home. And I remember that was the pressure. No, now it is dad can be a mom and mom can be a dad and two moms or two dads. And if you church people say not, you're haters. How'd we get there? By way back here saying, yeah, God wasn't right here either. What does this got to do with Elizabeth? I'm saying they were living blameless lives. Blameless means abstaining even from all appearance of evil. Amen? You say, what does that have to do with us on Mother's Day? What has this to do? God is commending this woman and her husband because they not only had peace with God, they were righteous before God. That's wonderful. How many of us know Lot had that? If you read your Bible, Lot was righteous before God. But he was not blameless. And he did not walk in all the commandments of the Lord blameless. But Zacharias and Elizabeth did. And as such, she's a tremendous example to us today as to how we should live our lives. Look at me very quickly. We looked at this uh, on Thursday night. 2 Peter 3.14. And I will try to fly through the final points because our first one was foundational. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. We're being warned about the, the coming of Christ and how the... The world, the, as we know it, is going to be consumed by fire and the judgment of God. But for Christians, it's not to terrify us. It is to help us be sober-minded and live for the Lord's return. The Bible says this to believers in Jesus Christ, people who know they're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It says, verse 14, 2 Peter 3, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blame. How easy is it to let just some little disobedience to God go in our life? Oh, very easy. But God says, see then that you walk circumspectly. You know what circumspectly means? Be diligent that you be found of him when the Lord comes in peace without spot and just like Zacharias and Elizabeth, blameless. Others should not be able to see willing disobedience in our lives toward our God. Amen? Amen. The Bible calls that having a good name, meaning we represent the Lord. You know what exactly? You know what Elizabeth was? A great representative for the God she served. She was saved by his mercy, yet she walked according to that and lived a life of obedience. God has not saved us to a life of disobedience. He saved us from a life of disobedience, and our walks reflect that. That's number one, our fellowship with the Lord. Back to Luke 1, and again, I'll try to move more quickly. We find her faithfulness to the Lord. We find she was righteous before the Lord, walking in all the commandments of the Lord and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Verse 7, the Bible says, and they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Now, 
you're going to forgive me. I'm just going to hit a little bit of a holy sarcasm. In this world, someone would say, well, praise God. She didn't have to have any kids. I'll just remind you this morning on Mother's Day that children are still, still in heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his, not curse, his reward. I'll tell you one reason our culture sees children as such a curse. Selfishness. We had this discussion around our table yesterday. If you have children, you have to pour into them. Money, time, energy, effort, they'll impede your plans. It's hard to be a career woman and raise children at the same time. I'll say this, it's impossible. Impossible. Some say, I do it. No, it doesn't. Somebody else raises them. Now, all this is free advertisement this morning. Motherhood is still a calling of God, and it's a noble and high calling. And one of the reasons our society is in such a mess it's in is because motherhood has been abandoned as a cheap, non-essential, unnecessary. Some, pawn that off to somebody else. Let somebody else raise your kids. Mothering and staying at home is, is for the low lives. And that's one of the reasons we have the wicked culture we have today. We've let, we've let ungodly people raise our children instead of the people that God most appropriately gifted to do it, and that's the one who brought them in. No one will love your child more than you do, mother. None. None. Even some of the worst women in the world love their children more than anybody else could. And I said, all oh, that's free. But here's a woman that would have loved to have a child. You say, how do you know? Because by the time you get to Luke one thirteen, the Bible says her husband had prayed for her to have a child. Just like Isaac prayed for Rebecca, it was a grief of soul that she, it was, a, it was a, an indictment, especially in that culture, when the ladies were hoping that the seed of the woman would be their seed. The promise of Genesis 3, verse 15, maybe the Messiah will come through me. And so there was a more of a desire probably even then, especially in the Jewish culture where there was a believing of the promise of God for a Messiah. But nonetheless, here's a woman that wanted to have a child. It was, a, it was seen as a, a, an indictment on her to not be able. Yet, you know what this woman did? we find that as an aged woman, she's still serving God. All I would say is this. She had been faithful to the Lord to walk in all His commandments and ordinances blamelessly. We know she had a desire to have a child, yet she had been disappointed, including unanswered prayer. Do you think Elizabeth knew her husband prayed for her? Do you reckon perhaps, I won't make the Bible say it because the Bible doesn't, we know Zacharias had prayed for her to be able to have a child and the answer had been no, no, no. Meaning God had disappointed her. Power of life and death is in the hand of the Lord. He opens and closes the womb. That's what he says in his word. And so though there had been disappointment in this woman's life, at the end of her life, you know what she's still doing? Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Blameless. Don't let the Lord offend you. Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. May I say this? If we're going to walk with the Lord, there are going to be days He doesn't give us what we desire. We're going to be disappointed with God's dealings with us. Devotion is not living for a God who never disappoints you. It's living for a God even though He has disappointed you. When His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. So we find our fellowship with the Lord You see, in the context of Scripture, she was faithful to the Lord. In spite of not being able to have a child, she was still walking in the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless at the end of her life. Luke 1, 39-45, we find her exemplifying again what we're supposed to be as New Testament Christians. She's filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Luke Luke 1, 39, so we've seen her fellowship with the Lord, her faithfulness to the Lord. Then we see her filling of the Lord. Luke 1, 39, the Bible says, And Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. 
And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's calling Jesus in the womb. He's my Lord. That little, by the way, you want something on the deity of Christ? Elizabeth said he's my Lord, and he wasn't even... You want something that'll, that'll shoot abortion down? Jesus is called my Lord when he's in the womb. That wasn't Mary's body that she was calling my Lord. That'll preach for just a minute. <laughs> no, the mother of my Lord should come to me, for lo, as soon as the voice of the salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she that believed, for there should be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. We are commanded in Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If you everybody hear anybody saying get drunk in the Spirit, they are not quoting the Bible, they are quoting their own mind. <laughs> We're to be filled with the Spirit, and the effect is similar to that of what would happen if a man was filled with alcohol. When a man's filled with alcohol, it controls his speech, it controls his walk. Would you know that? If you see a man walking like this, you know he's not under the influence of himself, he's under the influence of something else. When you and I are under the filled with the Spirit, meaning he has taken control and rule, his, his, his presence is such in our life that he has gained an influence over our walk, our talk, our speech. Yet the difference is with the Holy Spirit, we don't lose control, we're in control. The fruit of the Spirit is temperance. People say, I was filled with the Spirit, I was flailing on the floor. No, you weren't. Because filled with the Spirit, you speak coherently, plainly, understandably. Temperance is the fruit, not the lack thereof. Here's a woman that, number one, under the filling of the Holy Spirit, she recognized the Savior's presence. Here's a Spirit-filled woman, and when the, the Lord Jesus Christ entered the room through the womb of His mother Mary, she couldn't see Him with her eyes. We know that Mary was hardly even expecting, probably not even enough to be showing. Yet Elizabeth, being filled with the Spirit, recognized the presence of Christ. You know what the filling of the Spirit will do in your life? It will cause you to be sensitive to the presence of the Lord. Making sense this morning? If you can come to church and go to church and the only thing you notice was people and not what God was saying, there's a need to be filled with the Spirit of God. When we're filled with the Spirit, when Elizabeth was, when Jesus entered the room in the womb of Mary, she immediately recognized, my Lord is here. By the way, again, the Christian is not suggested to be filled with the Spirit. We are commanded. Meaning we are to let Him have such a... Don't quench Him, don't vex Him, don't grieve Him. We do that by arguing, by not agreeing, by not submitting to Him. And so then she recognized the Savior's presence. She exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's she praising here? Couldn't she have said, Mary, look, look, look. Mary hadn't seen her yet. You won't believe it. Look how what a wonderful woman I am. Here, God answered my prayer. I'm going to have a child. So she did. Where was her focus and attention? On the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're filled with the Spirit, focus and attention is not on what we're doing for Him and not even so much on what He's doing for us, but on who He is. And who he is and how wonderful he is. So we find this spirit-filled woman recognizes the Savior's presence. She exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, magnifies him. She is worshiping the Lord with her words and her actions. She encouraged the Savior's people. What does she say in verse 45? And blessed is she that believed. You know what a spirit-filled person will always do? Encourage faith in the Word of God. Someone says, I'm a spirit-filled person, but I don't believe the Bible. That's not a spirit-filled person. A spirit-filled person will always encourage believers to believe. Blessed is she that believed. Mary had been told a promise that was impossible, that a virgin would have a child, but Elizabeth, being filled with the Spirit, was a source of encouragement to Mary. Let me give you a foreshadowing of tonight's message. In this point right here, you have an aged woman, Elizabeth, 
instructing a younger woman, Mary. And what is she encouraging Mary to do? Blessed is she that believed. Mary, you have taken God at His Word and trusted Him to do a miracle. Bless you for believing God. Bless you for trusting God. You know what Herodias would do with her little girl? Go dance for Herod. And when he has requests, you come and I'll tell you what to ask for. Every generation of women is teaching the next generation. The question is, what are you teaching them? Elizabeth was a teacher. Herodias was a teacher. Herodias taught her daughter to be a seducer. Taught her to use her body as a tool to manipulate for her mother's wishes so she could destroy. Elizabeth was an encourager and an edifier and a builder up of faith in God. Dear lady, if you're an aged woman this morning, whether you're a mother or not has nothing to do with it. Are you, what are you teaching the next generation of ladies? Are we teaching them to be women of faith, women of virtue, women of modesty? That's what God's Word says. Or are we teaching them like Herodias taught her little girl? You'll see tonight, there are two teachers in our culture today, and I'm going to specifically apply this, of women. There are women teaching another generation of women. And tonight, this morning, you know what we need? We need some Elizabeths who will be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to teach younger women, trust that book. Trust God's Word. You've believed God, and God bless you for it. Oh, can I say this to you, you older ladies this morning? The young women in here have enough. They have enough pressure on them from their own flesh. They have enough pressure on them from a wicked world that wants to gobble them up and use them like yesterday's garbage without some woman in their life who claims to be a Christian agreeing with the world. They need somebody to agree with God in their lives. And it does better when they have it from you than from a loudmouth preacher behind a pulpit. It does better coming from another woman who's believed God and seen God be faithful. I preached on this in 2020 in the parking lot. We have a dearth of aged women who will be godly and teach the next generation to do the same. May God raise up some Elizabeths. Some who will say, I'll believe God when He makes the promise that seems impossible to me and I'll encourage the next generation to believe God because the other option is to be a Herodias teaching her daughter to be a seducer. Amen? One gave rise to the voice of God and the other one silenced it. There is a culture today that wants to silence the voice of God. We need some more John the Baptist. Which means we need some more Elizabeth. Amen? Here's a woman in fellowship with the Lord, faithful to the Lord, filled with the Lord, and therefore she was fruitful for the Lord. If you look here in Luke 1 again, verse 36, Luke 1, 36, we find that Elizabeth's case is referenced by the angel to Mary to encourage Mary to trust God. Luke one thirty six, the Bible says, Behold thy cousin Elizabeth. So Mary's just she's just been told that she is a virgin, is going to have a baby, knowing that is physically and scientifically and biologically impossible. Uh, Elizabeth, Mary asks, How should this be? Verse 34, seeing I know not a man. And verse 36, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived the son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, meaning God has already done a miracle for your cousin. Verse 37, for with God, nothing should be impossible. How many a young woman today thinks that living the godly life is impossible? Outside of Jesus Christ, it is. Outside of the indwelling Savior and the miracle of regeneration, it is. But you know what? God should be able to point a younger woman and say, but look at her. Look what God's done in her life. Look how God has transformed her. Look at the victory God gave her. And I know this is a very, that's not the primary interpretation, but it's a, it's a valid application of God's word. 
So Elizabeth was a pattern for others that we've already referenced. She not only verbally instructed Mary, but her life itself and the miracle that she had allowed God to do in her own body was a source of encouragement for Mary to trust God. Can God this morning point at us and say, that one trusted my word and look what I did for them. They used to live in the same bondage you do. You realize there are women today that used to, women like Mary Magdalene, who was possessed with seven devils, and yet the Lord Jesus changed her from a demon-possessed, wicked, sinful woman into a woman who is pure and holy and worshiping at the feet of the Lord Jesus. You realize God still saves sinners today and changes them? Yet, you know what will help encourage someone to believe that? When, they, when the Spirit of God can say, there's one of mine right there, you see what I did for them? When Mary says, how shall this be? You're telling me this is a miracle. You're saying God's going to do something I couldn't perform. And God says, yeah, but look what I've done for Elizabeth. And so she's fruitful in that her life is a pattern for others to follow. Again, I've referenced Titus 2. I want to go there very quickly. We need to wrap up because I've gone long. Titus chapter 2. Again, I referenced it, but I want to read from it. This this principle, it's, it's applicable. We see it in action with Elizabeth and Mary. The Bible says in verse 1 of Titus 2, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Verse 3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, meaning conduct that matches their profession of being righteous before God. They be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Here's why, verse 4 that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? A little minor reason here, that the word of God be not blasphemed. It's very important that this pattern be put before and then the instruction given to match. We see fruitfulness in Elizabeth's life and her influence on the next generation. I believe you see fruitfulness in her life in what she does for her husband. The Bible says to Zacharias, your wife is going to conceive and give you a son. Zacharias could go to his name knowing the family name is going to continue. God had not let him die barren. Here's a woman that was faithful to the Lord in being faithful to her husband. They were in agreement. There's an entire message that can be preached on how they agreed about the name of John. They agreed because they both agreed with God. She was fruitful in her marriage. She's fruitful in reaching and influencing another generation to trust God. But you know what? Probably the most renowned fruit of her womb was, that was, or fruit of her life was John the Baptist, the fruit of her womb. John the Baptist rocked the world. He came along preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. What tool was it that God used to bring John into the world? A dear faithful lady named Elizabeth, who was willing to serve God whether he gave her what she wanted or not, willing to serve God and trust God when he made an impossible promise to her, Willing to point the next generation and say, it's right to believe God and blessed you are, for, are you for doing it. The fruit of her life was John the Baptist and the forerunner. He was a preparer for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many believe the Lord Jesus is coming again? How many of you know that some need to hear he's coming again? Now, I understand that God, he called and separated John the Baptist from his mother's womb. But I want you to see the kind of, of lady God used to bring John into this world and the influence certainly that she had and the blessing to her life to know that God used her to bring... You know what her life did? It gave voice to the Word of God. What we just read in Titus 2? You know what happens when we don't 
when we don't accept God's salvation, when we don't walk in accordance with God's will, God's word is blasphemed. You see that in Titus 2? But when we conform to God's will and we follow God's way, John the Baptist was, as Luke 3, 4 says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And that voice was given birth to a woman named Elizabeth. Luke 1, 76 through 80, we'll close here. This is the fruit of Elizabeth's life. The fruit of her womb, John the Baptist, one son she only had. But he laid the pavement for the Lord Jesus to arrive, preparing a nation for his arrival. Luke chapter 1, verse 76 says, And thou child, speaking of John the Baptist, thou child shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. If you read Proverbs 31, The Bible talks about let her own works praise her in the gates. Her husband will bless her and her children will rise up and call her blessed. Elizabeth is undoubtedly a New Testament portrait of that Proverbs 31 woman. By the way, the only place I can find Elizabeth in the entire text was at her home. I'm not saying she didn't go to the temple. I'm sure she did. But it's not an accident. You know where you're going to find Herodias tonight? Oh, she's a princess in the palace. Surrounded with luxury jumping from one man to the next and using everybody around her to get her own way. Sounds like Walt Disney to me. I don't know. (laughs) Use the world to get what you want. Use people to get what you want. You know what Elizabeth's life tells us? I'll let God use me to do what he wants. I'll let God fulfill, and God did use her, did he not? By being a woman in fellowship with God, faithful to God, she was fruitful for God. Today, I don't know about you, I have no intent of naming my daughter Herodias. Someone can say, well, Herodias won the day. She had John beheaded. No, we know the story. We know her end. Today, we have the story of John the Baptist, and God used him to do an eternal work in preparing for the way of the Savior. This morning, whether man or woman alike, the character of Elizabeth is instructive to us. All by faith, all by faith. Here's a woman of faith who was righteous before God, walked in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless, living a life of fellowship with God, faithfully, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and fruitful. God used her to accomplish great things. And this morning, very practically, when it comes to motherhood, I I pray. I don't expect unbelievers to hear this and say, oh, yes, oh, yes. But the Christian should hear this and say, you know what? I want to go, I want to be used for God's purpose and God's way. The Christian should say, I would never want my life to be used to blaspheme the word of God but rather to give rise to the Word of God and give voice to the Word of God.